All right, so each week we're going to talk about a different concept in regards to acting like a Scrooge, being a Scrooge. And so as we review scripture, our running illustration is going to be from the Christmas carol, but we're no, by no means going to actually preach out of the Christmas carol. We're going to be using scripture, but we will have this running illustration from week to week. And so we begin with Ebenezer Scrooge encounter with the ghost of Christmas past. Let's watch this video clip to get a little context on Scrooge. So what would happen if that wasn't the end of the story? If that wasn't the actual end of the encounter of Scrooge with the ghost of Christmas past? What if Scrooge had a chance to process and reflect what he had just experienced? Let's listen on to maybe a fictional telling of what could have happened if the story would have continued. After his attempts to extinguish the spirit's light, Scrooge found his energy completely spent. He stumbled to his bed and promptly fell asleep. Nightmares of his past awakened him with a jump. Spirit! Don't leave me, spirit! Not with the hauntings of my past, shouts Scrooge. The pain of his past now began to flood his eyes with tears, realizing what only Scrooge would consider a moment of weakness. He quickly wipes his tears from his eyes, resolved that the past is just that. Climbing from his bed, he begins to pace the room. Bah! Who needs them? I worked as I needed to, and what they should have done. How else would I have achieved my success? Frivolity and vain pursuits, I tell you. My hard work and the sweat of my brow has gotten me here. As the words slipped from his mouth, the memory of old Fezziwig flashed before him. In a moment of seemingly tenderness and warmth for his caring master, Scrooge mothers, <laughs> Fezziwig, the daft fool for paying a fair wage. He always treated me and my fellow workers with respect and honor, though. Remembering his own staff, Scrooge considers Bob Cratchit, I should say a word to Cratchit in the morning. Searching for a lamp, Scrooge walks to the mantel. In his sleepy stumber, his arm knocks a stack of books from their shelves in their resting place, not having moved for many years. Startled by the thunderous sound of the heavy books hitting the floor and the sudden cloud of dust in their wake, Scrooge jumps and looks down at the pile. Among the books, black covers and dusty pages a corner of a single white picture emerges. Confused, Scrooge reaches for it and realizes that it's none other than the photograph of his beloved Belle. Fighting back another swell of tears, Scrooge sighs and sweetly says, Sweet Belle, dearest Belle, I lost you. My career, my work, were things I needed to do. I didn't have time for love. He pauses, knowing that he cannot change his past. He confesses as much. I know what my past is. I can't change that. But let me have some peace. Spirit, I... He attempts to keep his tears at bay or futile. I can't live with the horrors 
that haunt me daily. It is too much, spirit. Realizing a secondary moment of emotional weakness, Scrooge wipes the tears from his eyes on the sleeve of his dressing gown. A wave of exhaustion hits him hard. Scrooge yawns and makes his way back to bed. Ah! He exclaims, having stubbed his foot on the largest of the books on the floor. Muttering, he curses under his breath. Scrooge reaches for his attacker. A Bible? Ha! What do you have to offer me? Nothing. Unwilling to let such a book have any lasting impact on his toe or his life, Scrooge tosses the book across the room, far from the other fallen companions. Another yawn, a limp from his sore toe, Scrooge climbs into bed, closing the bed curtains. Sleep comes quickly, and Scrooge drifts off, seemingly unscathed by the night thus far. So a psychologist will tell you that dreams are your deepest subconscious trying to clamor and fight their way to the surface. Have any of you guys ever had any recurring dreams? Anybody have a recurring dreams? Those are the ones you really got to pay attention to, really got to listen to. I, I usually have two recurring dreams. I haven't had one since college. The first one was this. I know deep within me I have this ability to fly. All right? The, the dream of me knows that I can fly, but for some reason I, I can't. I jump and I don't go anywhere. I know that I can fly, but I, I, it doesn't get me anywhere. And so over the years of thinking about this, I realized that, you know what, I'm, I'm the fourth born of four kids. I'm the youngest in the family. We all know what that's like, right? I get everything handed to me. I'm the, I'm the golden child of the family. I'm pampered. We all know what the youngest are like. And I realized after contemplating, what is this dream trying to tell me? I keep having the same dream about me not being able to fly over and over again. I realized that, for me, achievement was something that I was always just given. I never had to work in high school. I never had to, to, to work hard to, to, to get clothes or food. It was just given to me. I got to college, however, and all of a sudden, like, school got hard. And it took me about a year to realize that I actually had to work to study. I actually had to work to get good grades. I actually had to put some effort into college. I couldn't just achieve by the fact of, of having things handed to me any longer. And guess what happened after I came to that realization, after my freshman year, by the way, of college? You have an idea? What do you, what do you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, I couldn't fly, but I stopped having that dream. It's kind of the same idea. I, kept having, I stopped having this reoccurring dream when I started to work towards my own achievements. The second is this. I served tables for seven years while in college and in seminary. And I was the kind of server who, uh, who never wrote anything down. I would take a, a table of 10 people and I wouldn't write anything down. I'd just go put it in the computer. I was the kind of guy who would try to take as many tables as I possibly could. At the restaurant I worked at, we had this side addition and, and I would ask the host, hey, fill that side up, because I want to go and serve all those tables as well. So I'd have like 13, 14, 15 tables. It was crazy, but that's how you make money, right? By serving tables. So I'd have these dreams that I'm serving tables. And people are not getting what they want. 
I have 15 tables and people are dissatisfied and they're angry because their service is horrible. And after thinking about this and contemplating this, I realized I don't delegate very well. I, I, I tend to do everything because I don't want to be a burden to people. And I still struggle with this. It's, it's an honest fact. I still struggle with the delegating. I don't want people to be burdened with the tasks that I need done, and so I just do them myself. And I'm realizing that these dreams are telling me something about myself. They're telling me something about my past, that these dreams are haunting me and they're trying to confront me and tell me something like, Ross, hey, you need to analyze this part of your life. You need to look at this part of your life. What's wrong with this part of your life that you keep having these weird reoccurring dreams? And it's kind of like Scrooge, is it not? He allowed the past to haunt him. It kept him from living a joy-filled, peace-filled, happy life. He was confronted with his greed and his search for control and power. And he was tormented by this haunting, tormented by this dream. There is a great example of someone else who is tormented by his past in Scripture. His name is Peter. He's going to be our focus of discussion for this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to John 21. If you don't have your Bibles, we'd be happy to get you one. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. John 21, 1 through 19, reads as follows. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll all go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And so early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him saying, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw fire burning. Coals were the fish with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They all knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you want, do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would give us eyes to understand your word this morning. Give us ears to hear you, Father, and what you are hoping to communicate in our hearts. And set us free from our past hauntings, Father, this morning as we put our trust in you. Amen. So, are you haunted by your past? Are there things in your life that you wish you could do over? Are there experiences that you have had that you wish you never would have had? Or things that you would have done differently if you could go back and do them again? I think we can probably all relate with the fact that we all have these hauntings, things that we wish we could have done differently. It could be in your distant past, your childhood, your high school, your college days. It could be during your marriage or before you were married. It could be your young childhood. Perhaps the past that you are haunted by is just last month or even yesterday. Perhaps we all wish that we could go back into our past and somehow have a do-over. Man, I wish I could go back and do that thing over. But we can't, right? And so whether it's 30 years ago or 30 days ago, our past, they can haunt us. And what we do with our past, I've used this analogy before, is that when we do these things in our past that we have regretful for, or we are guilty or ashamed of, we actively put a stake in the ground. We put a stake in the ground and we tie a heavy, large chain around that stake. And we tie that chain around our ankle and around our neck and around our waist. And then we try to move forward in life. And every time we put a stake in the ground and we tie a new chain to that stake and we tie ourselves to that chain and we continue to move forward, man, that burden gets heavy. Man, it gets so hard to move forward in freedom because I have this guilt and this burden and this pain weighing down upon me. Only if I could be free from that, we say. Man, let me be free from that past so that I can move forward in freedom and in hope. And so where do we find it? You know, we can spend a lot of time mentally dwelling and fretting over old failures and sins. How many of us have ever said words that we wish we hadn't spoken? Anybody can relate to that? Anybody? Yeah. How many of you have ever had an outburst of anger that you wish maybe you wouldn't have had? How many of these outbursts of anger have called, caused failed relationships and failed marriages? How many of us have committed sexual acts that we wish we could go back and say, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that? You may be living with the consequences of that sinful decision right now. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how these decisions cause ripple effects through human history. These decisions we made 10, 15, 30 years ago, they're still affecting us today. Maybe you don't pursue opportunities that are presented to you because you see it through the grid of that past experience or that past act and you say, man, I am not worthy. Or maybe you consider yourself damaged goods. Man, I did that one thing that one time and no one now is ever going to love me. No one now is ever going to consider me good. Everyone's going to look at me and, and look at me through the filter and through the lens of that thing that I did. Or maybe your past haunts you through this deep and abiding sense of regret. Oh man, I, I, I wish that I would have done that thing that I never did. 
I wish that I would have taken that trip that I never took. I wish I could have seen the world. I wish I would have asked that girl out because maybe she would now be my wife. I wish that I would have had the boldness to confront that man who I saw and tell him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wish I could have done these things, but for some reason, I held back and I didn't do them. And I'm still haunted by those decisions. And so today, I want us to be able to look back at our past and our failures and our sins and our regrets, whether they happened yesterday or whether they happened 30 years ago. And I want you to say, you will no longer haunt me. You will no longer have control over my past and therefore my present. I will not live chained to that stake. I will move forward in freedom. Amen. But we were only able to overcome these past failures, these past sins, these past regrets. We're only able to dig up those stakes by what Jesus Christ has already accomplished on the cross and through rising from the dead. And so there's this great example happening in the life of Peter, one of the central figures in the New Testament. He's one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his closest disciples. And the story takes place in John 21. We just read that a moment ago. Peter's story really allows us to see how God can really bring release and freedom from the burden of past failures and past regrets. But to understand Peter's story, we need to go back to his recent past, the last two and a half years of his life, really the only section of his life that we know anything about. And so let's do that. Let's go back into Peter's life to help us understand what he regretted, what his failure was, and how Jesus restores him. Luke 5, 1 through 11 says this. One, one day as Jesus was standing on the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little more to shore. Then he sat down and taught his people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for fish. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let out the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. So Jesus calls Simon Peter to follow him. And how does Jesus get his attention? Well, through a miraculous catch of fish. These are very important signals that we need to remember. How does Jesus get Peter's attention? Through a miraculous catch of fish. Keep that in mind. And so Peter starts his journey with Jesus. Peter will become one of Jesus' closest friends, one of the greatest disciples. He will have written two letters, two portions of the New Testament that eventually we will have. He is a witness to incredible miracles and the teachings of Jesus. And Peter is eventually going to be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one that God had promised since the beginning of time to come to renew creation. And so let's flash ahead about two and a half years. 
Peter makes a very bold claim, and Jesus makes a harrowing prediction. John, chapter 13. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. Jump down a couple verses to 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And so Peter is impetuous, right? He is bold, he's cocky, he's arrogant. He's the kind of guy who speaks first and then asks asks later. He's the guy who does something and then asks for forgiveness rather than asking permission first. We all know what those kind of people are like. Are there a couple people like that in this room this morning? You speak first, you ask later. You do, and then you ask for forgiveness. And here's an effort to show just how committed and loyal he is to Jesus when he says, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. I will follow you anywhere. To the cross, yeah, I will lay down my life for you. These are bold words, but they're tough to back up, right? And so Jesus has this stinging comeback. Really, Peter? Are you really going to lay down your life for me? Are you really going to follow me to the ends of the earth? Are you really going to follow me all the way to the cross? Here's what I think, Peter. Before the rooster crows three times, you will disown me three times. And so Jesus has been arrested that night, and the crucifixion will come in the morning. And so the night of Jesus has predicted has arrived. Peter's denial, then, is evident very much in Luke 22. It continues. Then, seizing him, they, told, they took him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. So it's simple, right? When the pressure is on, when Peter's commitment to Jesus was going to potentially cost him everything, physical embarrassment and agony and possibly, very much possibly, death, He denies him. I do not know him. Man, shut up. I do not know him. What are you talking about? I I never met the guy before. And after the denials are finished, in verse 61, it says that Jesus came out of the high priest's house and he made eye contact with Peter. He looked Peter in the eye. Can you imagine what Peter was feeling? The look on Jesus' face, we cannot know, but we know that Peter must have been 
horrible. It was enough to wreck Peter. He betrayed and denied the most important person in his life. It was enough to wreck him. And he wept bitterly because of it. And so Jesus is crucified. Three days later, he is risen from the dead, and he appears to the disciples. Peter sees Jesus, but he's never really actually alone with Jesus. So they're never actually able to have this conversation about what Peter had done. He's always with the disciples. And so imagine you're, you're Peter at this point. You see Jesus die on the cross, and, and you really have no idea what's going to happen. You flee, you run away, you do what you do, and then three days later, you hear that Jesus has been risen from the dead. And you're like, oh man, now I have to go confront Jesus? I'm the one who denied him. He was probably an emotional wreck. Mentally and spiritually, he was hanging in the balance. You are haunted by what you have done. You're regretting, you're bragging confidence, Peter. Man, I was so arrogant. I was so prideful. I said that I would die with Jesus, and now I am here denying him? So fully ashamed of denying your friendship with Jesus. He denied him three times. Not just once, not just twice. Three times he denied Jesus. Peter was certainly excited about Jesus' resurrection, no doubt, right? He just had his best friend back. But now he needs to confront Jesus. Will things ever be the same between the two of them? Man, isn't it going to be awkward when they have to have that first conversation together? It's going to be hard, no doubt. And so he's hesitant, and his past is haunting him. And Peter has to be wondering, man, what does Jesus think of me? I mean, I betrayed him three times. What does Jesus really think of me? I don't know. Am I still his disciple? I mean, I, 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 told him, I told the world I didn't want to follow him anymore. Am I still his disciple? I don't know. Does Jesus still love me? Am I damaged goods? Can you relate to any of these? You think about your own past, and you think, man, does God really love me after that? I mean, what I did was really bad. Does God still love me? I don't know. Am I now damaged goods because of what I have done? Will, everyone, will anyone ever love me again after what I have done? Am I just damaged goods that the world cannot love anymore? A haunted past. And so with those thoughts rolling around in Peter's head, we come to this encounter in John 21, the text that we read at the beginning. And it's going to be Jesus himself who helps Peter overcome his past. And so how does Jesus enable Peter to overcome his past? How does he enable us to overcome our past? Well, the disciples have seen the risen Jesus, but they are not sure what to do next. And so they do what they know what to do. They go fishing. That's all they ever did was fish. And so that night, fishing on the Sea of Galilee, they come up empty. Just like the first encounter with Jesus and the disciples, they come up empty. There is no fish, evidently, in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus comes to them. Early in the morning, he comes to the shore and he calls out to the disciples, haven't you guys caught any fish? And their answer is no. It's horrible out here. It's cold, it's windy, and there's no fish in this blasted sea. And so Jesus tells them, why don't you guys cast your net onto the other side of the boat? And so they do, and what happens? They catch a load of fish so heavy that they cannot pull it into their boat. Now, if you're thinking, wait, this did happen before, you're absolutely right. This is how Jesus first encountered the disciples. Luke 5, right, the original calling of Peter was marked by a miraculous 
catch a fish. Jesus is taking Peter back to the beginning. Back to when he was faithful. He's helping him to remember those relationships that he had with Jesus in the beginning. And so John is the first to recognize that Jesus is the one out on the shore. But Peter, in his impetuous style, in his boldness, he puts on his coat, he jumps into the sea, and he goes swimming towards the shore. He's not worried about the catch of fish. He doesn't care about the fish anymore. All he wants to do is be alone with Jesus because he is burdened, he is haunted by his past. And so when he arrives, he finds that there is a fire burning. Appropriately, right, this is a reminder that when Peter, in the high priest's house, was sitting around a fire, he was denying Jesus. And so he gets to the shore, and there is a fire burning. It just so happens that Jesus is there with some fish, with some bread, and he has made breakfast. And so the the stage is set by Jesus. And notice that it is Jesus who actually pursues Peter, not vice versa here. Jesus is keenly aware of Peter's broken heart. He is keenly aware of how Peter's past has haunted him and his regrets and his decisions that he has made and how they are burdening him. He's haunted by the mistakes that he has made, and so Jesus uses this powerful imagery. It's the miraculous catch of fish. It's the charcoal burning and the fire, and they're all a reminder of the good and the bad in his life. The fish is a great moment in his past. The fire is a horrible moment in his past. Jesus Jesus pursues Peter in order to make things right between the two of them. And to heal the broken relationship, to reconcile, to set Peter's mind at ease. And in this pursuing action of Jesus toward Peter, we see what is at the heart of the Christian faith. God pursues sinful humanity. That is at the very core of the Christian faith, that God pursues humanity. Do you know that we are unique as Christians and that God pursues us? Every other world religion in the world is the other direction, that man must pursue God. And so what do I have to do? I have to do all of the religious things. I need to be really good. I need to go to Mass. I need to do the sacraments. I need to go to the confessional booth. I need to do my penance. I need to do all of these things because maybe then I can climb the ladder high enough where I might reach God. But that's not what Christianity is about. I don't care if you look at Buddhism or Hinduism, any other world religion in the world, they are all reversed. Man pursues God. But notice here, at the very core of the Christian faith, we have God pursuing man. Is that incredible? That God looked from heaven on a very broken, very messed up world, and he says, man, I do not want this world, this world whom I love, to be ridden with guilt and this burden and this sin and this death any longer. I will descend from my throne, and I will rid them of this guilt. I will rid them of their past hauntings. It's incredible. And do you know that this is what Christmas is all about? We're celebrating this Christmas, right? We're celebrating this Advent season when God comes down to rid humanity of their past failures, to rid humanity of the guilt and the shame and the burden that we all experience. This is Christmas in a nutshell, and it's beautiful. And the infant child Jesus, Jesus, the one who would save man from their sins, God came down in the form of a baby. God would send his son to be born a lowly birth in a manger, the most despicable of all the places in the feeding troughs of cows and horses and camels. 
That he would take on human flesh in order to rescue us from our sin and to bring us into this incredible, life-giving, full, whole, shalom-filled relationship with God. Christmas is the reminder that God chased us. God would not let our own rot and our own shame and our own despicable state to continue. God came to rescue us through Jesus Christ. And he came to rescue you from your past. He came to tear up those stakes. He came to release you from the chains that you're carrying and burdened with. He came to release you from the suffering of being haunted by reoccurring dreams. And the shame that we experience for the memories of those things that we have done once upon a time. Jesus has come in the form of a baby at Christmas to release you from that burden. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you need that this morning? And so Jesus pursues Peter. But he does so for a reason. He wants to restore him. He's hoping to restore Peter. And so, naturally, Jesus asks a series of questions. What's what's most important in your life, Peter? Because that is going to be the source of your restoration. So Jesus begins. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, do you love me more than the disciples love me? And Peter's like, of course I do. I'm willing to die for you. Of course I love you more than they do. I I love you with with all of my loyalty and all of my heart. Peter believed that he could outlove all the disciples. He believed that he was the greatest of the disciples. He believed that if push came to shove, that he would outlove all of the disciples. But now he is realizing, man, you know what? I blew it. I was so pious and I was so arrogant and I was so prideful. And I thought that I would follow Jesus even to his death. And yet when that time came, I denied him. I blew it. But Jesus responds, are you still with me? Notice that it's not Peter asking Jesus, will you take me back? But it's Jesus saying, Peter, are you still with me? That even in your sin, even in your blowing it up, even in your horrible situation you find yourself in, are you still with me? Will you continue? Even though your past is haunted, even though you are flawed, even though you did that thing, will you still continue to follow me? Will you not let that burden weigh you down so much that you are incapable and unable of following me still? Do you really love me the way you claim to love me? See, Peter longs for restoration and for everything to be right again, and so he answers with complete honesty and authenticity. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I know I messed up. I know I screwed up. I know I did that thing. But yes, God, I do still love you. I need to tell myself this every single day. I look back on yesterday. I'm like, man, I know I did that thing. I know I wasn't kind. I know I was angry. I know I wasn't patient. I know I did that thing. And yet, man, I still love God through it all. And then that love pushes me to continue to follow him. And Jesus' reply, therefore, is very short. If you still love me, then feed my lambs. Now, Jesus isn't saying, go and be a shepherd in the valley. And live a peaceful life against the stream. He's saying, take care of others who are also following me. Be a leader. 
Strive and serve. Be a leader. Get back in the game. Get back in the game. He is indeed going to be used by God again. Peter is going to be used by God again. He's going to make a very significant impact in the lives of those who follow Jesus. And so no matter what is past, no matter what is haunting, no matter what he has done, God is going to make it good. And God can do the same in your life, friends. That whatever you have done in your past, God can use it for the good. Do you love Jesus? Then feed his sheep. Do you love God? Then care for those around you. Feed his sheep. God wants us back on his team. We're the ones who say, man, I did that thing. I I don't know if I can go back onto God's team. I kind of betrayed him. I kind of denied him. Is he going to want me back? Of course he wants you back. He wants you on his team. He wants advocates for his kingdom. And of course he wants you back. And so this exchange actually happens three times, appropriately, right? Three times Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. And it is at the third time that really gets to Peter. Peter's probably remembering, oh man, you know that time around the fire and I denied him three times? Now Jesus is coming back and he's asking me three times if I love him? Come on. Wasn't the first time enough? I told you I loved you. Wasn't the second time enough? I told you I loved you. But you have to ask me a third time? I'm kind of hurt, Jesus. But notice what Jesus is doing. He's reinstating Peter. He's restoring Peter. Peter, I'm well aware of how you failed me. I'm well aware of your trouble. I'm well aware of what you did. I'm well aware of your past. I'm well aware of your hauntings. But in spite of what you did, I am still willing to have you back. Not only am I willing to have you back, but I want you back. I want you in my fold. I want you on my team. I need you on my team. Peter, come on back. Restoration Church, come on back. You want to live tied to those chains? You want to live enslaved to your past? And you can do that. And that's, that you can live that life if you want to. That's a choice you can make. But if you want to move forward in freedom, if you want to move forward free from those burdens and those chains, then come on back. Start again today. My grace is new. My mercy is new. My forgiveness is new. Come on back. And so Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know all things. You even know my very heart, Lord. You know the condition of my heart. You know how desperately I want to love you, and yet I I, I just fail at doing it all the time. I'm just not a very good lover. You know my heart. You know my failures, you know my victories, you know what motivates me, you know my desires, you know my longings, you know all the false gods that clamor for my attention, you know what idols I hold up in life, you know all that junk. And yet even with all of that, you know that as broken and as flawed as I am, that you love me. You love me despite it all. That's crazy. It doesn't make any sense that God would still love us despite all of our flaws, and yet he does. Did you know that God loves you despite all your flaws? That you don't need to earn his love? I don't care what you have done in your past, God loves you. And his grace is offered to you if you would accept it. And so again, Jesus commands, feed my sheep. And then Jesus goes on 
in verse 18 to say that indeed that Peter will serve him. You're going to serve me. This is the kind of death even that you're going to serve me with. And as tradition tells us, Peter was hung upside down on a cross because he did not believe that he was worthy of dying in the same manner as Jesus. He followed him even to the death. And it's appropriate that at the very end of this discussion with Peter and with Jesus, Jesus says, Peter, follow me. That's how Jesus called Peter, if you remember, at the very beginning. Follow me. Come along. I know you screwed up. I know you betrayed me. I know you denied me, but follow me. Come along. Don't let your past haunt you. Take another step forward. Come along today. Move along today. All is forgiven. Peter, you are reinstated. That past, you know, that's behind you. You can't do anything about that, so move forward in freedom. Move forward with great hope and great strength. Go forward with the same passion and the same zeal that you had when you first encountered God. And when I first called you, please, move forward in freedom. Don't you dare let the past hold you back. And so Jesus is able to fully forgive and restore Peter because the cross and the resurrection had taken place already. It had already been finished, right? Jesus had already defeated death. He'd already taken that burden, that past sin, that past regret. He had already taken it upon his own shoulders. And now he's saying, I have removed that. Move forward in freedom. And Peter will indeed feed his lambs. I'd already just mentioned that he is going to be crucified upside down. He is going to live his life until he dies very boldly. In Acts 3 and 4, we see that he begins the church and he, bold, he, he preaches the gospel boldly, even being imprisoned and being persecuted as he does so. He is not, a lot, he is not willing and allowing himself to deny Jesus again. Man, I know the truth. I know the truth of God's love. I know the truth of God's life. Why would I deny that in the world? What is, what is better than that? Is, is freedom from persecution better than God's life and better than God's world? Is, is having more toys and worshiping false idols, is that better than, than God? Peter is so well aware now that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. His kingdom is real. Man, I will do anything to live truly for Jesus Christ. And so Peter is cut loose by the power of the gospel to overcome his past and to move into a wondrous future with great opportunities. And so Scrooge was haunted by his past, right? We are haunted by our past. Scrooge had messed up priorities and it caused him to hurt people. I have messed up my priorities and it has caused me to hurt people. He was driven by greed and money and earthly security and power There are times that I'm driven by greed and money and security and earthly power. He lost friends because he he could not share his life. He could not embrace the one he even loved because he loved the world so much. And there are times when I choose the world over the ones I love. And he deeply regretted it. And years later, he deeply regretted it. And he wished that he could have changed it, and he believed that he could not. He thought he was going to be tied to those chains forever. He didn't think there was freedom in this world. He thought his his life was, was hopeless and that he was going to be lost. 
His past haunted him, and he deeply affected his present and even his future. And so does yours? Restoration Church, does your past still haunt you? Decisions you have made in the past, are they still deep in your memory? Do they still reoccur in dreams that you have at night? Are you haunted by your past? And so two questions emerge briefly. What will set us free from our past? I think the story of Peter, we see two things that we see will set us free from our past. The first is a firm belief in the complete forgiveness found in the gospel. Because of what Jesus has already done for us on the cross and rising from the dead, we can be free from our past. No matter what you have done, I don't care what you have done, you can be free from your past. Look at what first Peter says, Peter's own writing. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. I I don't need to be haunted by my sins. I can die to those sins and I can live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you have been set free. By his wounds those stakes have been ripped out of the ground and you can live freely in this world. For you were like sheep going astray. Yes, you were lost. Yes, you were haunted by the past. Yes, you were burdened. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And so Jesus bears our sin on the cross so that we might die to our sins. We might die to our past. We might die to those past regrets. And instead, we might actually live for righteousness. We can move forward in freedom tomorrow because of the grace and the mercy and the faithfulness of God. Amen? Amen. His wounds have healed us. He has taken our burden upon himself. And that is the beauty and the wonder of the gospel, that our past is silenced by the gospel. The cross shouts out, past, you can no longer haunt me. You no longer have authority over me. You no longer have control over my future. I can move forward in freedom. That is the cross of Jesus Christ shouting out at his people. Do not live tied to your past. Because Jesus has already made it completely possible for your past to be forgiven. And all that you have to do to be set free from guilt and bondage and shame is to put your trust in what Jesus Christ has already accomplished on the cross. And if you have not done that yet, talk to me. Talk to someone with a, with a restoration button. Let us tell you about how you can place your trust in the cross of Jesus Christ and what he has done in rising from the dead so that you can be set free from your past. You need to have a complete for, understanding and, for, and belief in the forgiveness that is found in the gospel if you want to move forward. You know, elephant trainers, when they want to train elephants, when they're young, they put a chain around their feet and they tie them to a cement block. Now, when they're older, they would be able to rip those chains out from the block. But for some reason, they don't. And it's funny that if you look at this chain, it's not even attached to anything. All they have to do with adult elephants is put a small silver bracelet around their ankle, and they still stay in the same place. They've been conditioned by their past. That's the only way they know how to live is stayed, chained, and tied to that cement block, and so they don't move anywhere. Are you going to stay conditioned to your past? Or are you going to realize that those chains do not have to haunt you? They do not need to control you. Will you move forward with purpose? And so secondly, you need to have a fresh purpose moving forward. Develop a new future for yourself. Develop a new goal. Develop a new image of yourself. 
See, Peter felt utterly defeated and a complete failure. He felt worthless. We've all probably been there. And Jesus pursues him and he restores him and he tells Peter, follow me and feed my sheep. Right? He has a new purpose. Feed my sheep. Peter, the past is forgiven. You have a purpose going forward. And so God picks up the pieces of Peter's broken life and he says, wow, I'm going to put this back together for you so you have a new purpose going forward. The past is behind you, so stop looking back at it. Man, stop looking back. Stop walking backwards. Move forward. And so one time when Jesus was talking about discipleship to his disciples, he says that no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. If you want to follow Jesus, then serve him. But don't look back on your past regrets and your past hauntings. Move forward. Look towards the future. Do not look back. Look forward. Look today to God's grace. Look today to God's forgiveness. Look today to God's mercy, for it is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Do not look back. Push forward. And be the parent you are called to be. Start interacting with your children differently. Don't don't worry about how you interacted with them yesterday. Interact with them today differently. Interact with your spouse differently. Don't worry about the things you said yesterday. Love her or him today. Be the laborer you were meant to be. Don't worry about that. You showed up, you know, continually 15 minutes late for work in the past. Commit yourself to showing up on time in the future. You can start new tomorrow. You do not let you do not need to let today burden you. And so there's this great um, illustration by the 1929 uh, not Super Bowl, the Rose Bowl. Has anybody heard the story of Wrong Way Regals before? Watch this short video clip. And I'll give you some commentary. In celebration of the 100th Rose Bowl game, a memory. The most famous play by a center in Rose Bowl history led to defeat for his team. In the 1929 game, Cal's Roy Regals recovered a fumble and ran 65 yards the wrong way before a teammate wrestled him to the ground at the one. A blocked punt led to a safety, an 8-7 Georgia Tech win, and a dubious place in history for Roy Regals. The 100th Rose Bowl game on ESPN. So can you imagine being Roy Regals? That's before the halftime. He goes into the locker room, and he's sitting there, and he has his, hand, his head in his hands, and he is sobbing in the corner. He is so embarrassed. He is just distraught. You're the coach of Georgia Tech, and you enter the locker room, and you're just sitting there in silence. You have no idea what to say. And you wait till three minutes before halftime is over, and you eventually say, the same team that started the first half, you're going to start the second half. And, and Roy is sitting there in the corner. He's like, I can't go back out there. I can't face that crowd. I'm so embarrassed. What I have done, everyone's just going to laugh at me and mock me. I cannot go back out there. And he said, the coach said, this is a paraphrase, you have a new opportunity. The game is only half over. Are you going to make the most of the second half, or are you going to live tied to what you did in the first half? And Roy Regals, he played great in the second half. He blocked a punt. He, uh, he, he played hard, and his teammates all recognized that. And he went out there because he did not want to be chained to what he had done previously. He went out there, and he lived newly. And so no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, 
You can live freely today. You can live freely tomorrow. The failures and the mistakes in the past, they do not need to haunt you any longer. Jesus has set you free. Jesus has set you free. And so we don't need a ghost to remind us of all of our past failures and all the things that we've done wrong. We have pretty good minds and memories to remind us of that, do we not? But my encouragement to you is to look to the cross. And as you place your trust in what Christ has done to forgive you of your past burdens, that you might move freely. And not just freely to continue to live for yourself, but freely to live with purpose, that you would live freely to feed God's sheep. Whatever context you find yourself in, that you would feed God's sheep. Care for those around you. Be a leader. Take the regrets that you have in the past, analyze them, and look at them and say, wow, you know what? I can live differently tomorrow. There is strength found there in the cross of Jesus Christ. I do not have to be the person I was for Christ to set me free and give me a power by his Holy Spirit to change me. And if you need evidence of that, if you need a transformative story, man, talk to anybody who has put their trust in Christ and we'll tell you how we have been changed. We'll tell you how we have been set free to live a life new. Amen? All right. If you would stand for the benediction. Restoration Church, this holiday season, let us be people who live freely in a world that is always in regret. That is always looking to the past and saying, man, we're not good enough. We've done these things. We know where forgiveness is found. We know where mercy is found. We know where the strength to move forward with purpose is found. Let us not conceal that, but share it with those who are in need. Let us feed God's sheep. Go in peace.